Welcome to our first Wednesday of February 2024. You know, this year is our, uh, will be our 25th anniversary as a local church. It's pretty amazing. And in case you don't know who I am, I'm Don McKenzie. I'm the financial administrator and also help out with our small group ministry. And so have you noticed that there are some, some new small group booklets on your table? Be sure to get one. And uh, make sure you let your small group leader know that you have one. And small group leaders will have some available on Sunday if you need to fill in the gaps. Of course, you've noticed the topic on the booklet. I've had so many people say, did y'all do this booklet because of me? <laughs> and if I said no, I did it because of my mirror, not my wife, my mirror, this is something that we all can benefit from. We all need to grow and become more like Jesus Christ, especially in these areas. So we hope this will be a tremendous benefit to our church. And uh, I think there's some uh, good material in there from the Bible that will help us all. Hey, could you handle some good news? Usually when I ask that question to someone, it's because I want to share the gospel with them. And they'll go, yeah, sure and then I can move into the gospel. But sometimes when I ask people, hey, could you handle some good news? Their knees buckle a little bit and they go, please, I need some good news. Well, I have three pieces of good news that I wanna share with you tonight. First, it's a money victory. Second, it is a small group victory. And third, it's a healing victory. First, a money victory. <clears throat> For the first five weeks of this year, compared to the first five weeks of last year, we have given $18,000 more than we did last year. That's an 18% increase. And uh, when you're praying, uh, you might want to mention, Lord Jesus, help us as a church to better and better obey the Great Commission. Now for a small group victory. I don't have permission to use this person's name. Um, I was tempted. It's in my small group. So you know small groups have been experimenting, uh, hearing from our Lord and then sharing what we think he, he might be communicating. And this was all new to my small group. So we've been taking kind of baby steps at a time. And uh, not everybody is comfortable with the word prophecy. And so... You know, we, we've been uh, working on this. Well, a couple of weeks ago, a man in our group asked if he could be the last one to pray in our meeting because he had something that he thought would bless our entire group. So we were like, okay. So at the end of the meeting, he prayed. He was thanking uh, the Lord for the love that he felt in his heart for the members of our small group and how fun it was to his soul to be a part of our small group. Well, it was kind of a feel-good moment. Uh, we were all blessed uh, by him praying that. So a couple of weeks later, which was yesterday, uh, I called him and I said, hey, I want to thank you for prophesying uh, in our meeting in your prayer. And he said, I didn't prophesy. And I said, well, did you feel like the Lord put that love in your heart? He goes, oh, yeah, absolutely. I said, did you suddenly have a desire to share that love with the group? He goes, well, yeah, I, I did. I said, well, 
when you did share it in your prayer, did it bless and encourage everybody in our group? He said, well, yeah, it seemed like it did. And I said, it blessed me. I said, so the Lord somehow communicated to you and you shared it. Thanks for prophesying in our group. And he said, well, okay. <laughs> that was a small group victory. Now, lastly, a healing victory. Back on December 9th, uh, we concluded our Freedom Conference uh, with a few prophetic words, kind of like we did a couple of weeks ago here on Sunday morning. And one of those words was about throat issues. And I do have permission to share this. Diana Collinsworth came for prayer, and she shared how she had a medical issue with acid reflux and that it had affected her life and sleep every day for a very long time. And after receiving prayer on that Saturday afternoon, she reported immediate relief. She was able to stop taking her medicine, and now it's been two months with no acid reflux. She said she had one time when she could tell it was about to start, and she just stopped and prayed and cried out to the Lord, and she said it just went away. Now, Diana had to work tonight, so she can't be here, but she told me it was okay to share her story. And here is what she texted, like, is it okay to share your story? And she said, by all means, share. The glory belongs to God. Prayer works and is powerful. God is so good. So that's victory number three. Now tonight we have a time of praise and worship. We're going to be led by Trevor and in an installation of some new elders. But I'd like to just stop. I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask the praise band to come on forward. And let's just take a moment and thank the Lord for how good he is being to us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, the stories that we're hearing and the blessings that you're putting down into our souls of causing our opinion of Jesus Christ to increase, helping us to have more faith in him. Lord, we thank you for all the blessings that you're pouring out. And Lord, there's people in this room that haven't experienced some things they've been praying for and that they wish that you would do. Lord, I pray you'd give them patience. I pray, Lord, that you would, in your timing, grant them every good thing that they're asking for. Lord Jesus, may you be glorified tonight, we ask in your mighty name. Amen. Hey, everybody. You can stay seated if you want. You can stand if you want. Uh, we're going to we're going to do a couple songs tonight. Um, this, this first song, it, it's really becoming just a song that, that I love that our church is singing together. It's just about the anticipation of being in the room, being in the house of God, being in this house of miracles that, that we're seeing. And I want, I want it to be contagious, and I want you all to just, when you walk through those doors Sunday morning, you're just, I can't wait to get in the room. And so, you know, um, God is doing some awesome things that, that I've never seen in my life before. And what a, what a privilege it is to see that. And so I just want to be 
in the room. And I, I hope it just, you know, five minutes before the service even starts, the, the seats are filled because everyone is just ready for God to do something completely awesome and completely new. So that is my, that's my prayer. That's, that's kind of my, my plea, you know, to you all to just be excited to, to get in the room first thing. So if you want to stand, go ahead and stand. We're going to sing some music tonight.
stone, push through the crowd. God, I want to see you break through. Tear off the lower me down, whatever it takes. song tonight and all the earth will shout your praise our hearts will cry these bones will sing great are you Lord and all the earth will shout your praise Uh-huh. 
hearts will cry, these bones will sing. Great are you. Jesus, we, we love you. We're so thankful for what you're doing. We're so thankful that we get to, to watch you move in people's life. The living God looked down on us, and you love us, and you are moving, and we're seeing it, and we're experiencing it. I don't want to be anywhere else, God. In Jesus' name, amen. You all can have a seat. Before you have a seat, stand back up. We got to do something loud. All right. I know we can do this. I think we can do it without spilling drinks. 
See that space back there? I need some of it up here for what the end of this ceremony. So we need to move like tables back three or four feet. So somebody be a table captain and kind of walk everybody through this. Going to be loud. We got to have some space right down here. All right. Beautiful squeaking noises in the house of God. There you go, buddy. All right. That's a lot better. Thank you. Well, welcome everybody watching at home tonight or at work on the internet. And wish you could be here, but sometimes and we got folks sick. We're praying that God would get rid of this influenza and all these other sicknesses that have been hampering our church. But even in the midst of all of that, our, our crowds have been up all year long. And Don told you about offerings. And I, I, this may not be quite as accurate as it needs to be, but... If it's not every Sunday this year, it's, it's every Sunday minus one that a new family or a new person has said, I want to I join Great Commission. They became practicing members. The last numbers I heard was we have 10 practicing members and five of them are to be baptized. And I think they're all adults. Is that right, Sheila? Is that is correct? One teenager? Close enough. How about that? Let's give God glory for saving people. So we got lots. Lots of people to dunk and welcome into the family. Lots of people to adopt. And that, that snowball's going down the hill. It's good. Look, everybody knows when their team's winning, right? You go to the game and you don't really have to look at the scoreboard. You can kind of watch and listen, listen to the crowd. And, and you know when you have momentum and you know when you don't. But we have it right now because of the grace of God. And so I'm just basking in it. Look, enjoy the journey, knowing at the end of the journey, it's the next world with Jesus and all those loved ones that knew the Lord, that are dead and with the Lord. I mean, think about it. We, it's better in the next world, but it doesn't have to be terrible in this one. Amen? I mean, being full of the Spirit of God with the people of God. And so we have a growing, strong local church. And one of the reasons that we can share all of those vic victory stories that Don shared earlier, and they'd be so v varied and different, is because you have embraced what the New Testament says and that is that you have as much a responsibility when we gather together in the big room or at small group or in the hallway or with the children to do the work of the ministry and not just your pastors. Yes. If every church figured that out and deputized the members and said, look, you have the same Holy Spirit living in you. You got the same Bible I have. You got the same mandate to make disciples of the nations you can do it, and God will work through you. And that, that's how revival sparked. And we, so we're, we're, we're touching and testing just a taste of spiritual renewal because the saints are ministering to each other, and it's fantastic. So we're just going to keep learning that and growing in that. But let me tell you, it, it's not just the ministry. One of the things that protects our church is how our church is governed. And so tonight, we're installing... Uh, we're actually, we're playing catch-up tonight. We should have installed these guys officially in a ceremony several months ago. We got busy, and, and that's not a great excuse, but when you need an excuse, Randy, any excuse will do. We've learned that. And so, so we're catching up tonight. These guys have been serving in the office of elder for a long time. We're just putting a stamp on them tonight and presenting them to you. Uh, but, look, 
our church is governed, and we believe biblically, um, and I don't really care what you call your church leaders and the guys that rule. Uh, what your church needs is a group of men who seek the Lord. They're godly. They, they meet the qualifications that Paul laid out for us in 1 Timothy. And whether you call them elders or deacons or pastors or presbyters or, or bishops or whatever, it doesn't really matter what the church needs are godly men who rule and watch over the church. Amen? And so our church, we have that, and we're, we're adding some more tonight and officially. And, and look, after these three, we got five new ones, uh, and we'll be, we'll be uh, installing them soon. So tonight, tonight though, I've got, it's been so long since we've installed new elders that you don't remember the talk that I give on this. So I'm going to give the talk to you. And we have so many new people, you haven't heard this talk. And oh, it's such a talk. It's just so good. You need it. You're going you're to live for this. And so... It, there, in your, at your table, I, I just printed you kind of my notes on the, it says elder installation service. That's the second part of my talk. I'm not going to be doing that right now. So if you're, when I start sharing this and you're looking on that sheet of paper, you're going to, pastor's like not talking about that. I'll, I'll tell you when I get to that. But, and so the scriptures are there for that, for that sheet. They won't be on the screen. But for the first half of my talk, I'm just going to go through the qualifications of elders from 1 Timothy 3, 1 to 7. And those verses should be on the screen. I'm going to read them now. This is a faithful saying. If a man desires the position of a bishop, and in the margin you might have overseer. If a man desires the position of a bishop, he desires a good work. A bishop then must be blameless. The husband of one wife. Temperate. Sober-minded, of good behavior, hospitable, able to teach, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but gentle, not, not quarrelsome, not covetous, one who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence, for if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest, being puffed up with pride, he fall into the same condemnation as the devil. Moreover, he must have a good testimony among those who are outside, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Father, we thank you that it's so clear in the New Testament how a local church should be shepherded and governed and overseen and protected by godly men. Thank you, God, that throughout the years, almost 25 of them, there's always been a plural number of men that meet these qualifications and have been willing to desire this task and to look out for these sheep. God, we give you glory for that. We, we praise you that our church has not been characterized by infighting and backbiting and factions and splits. Instead, God, you've given us harmony and peace and, and love for the brethren, and, and you've given us just a string of good years. And it's all of your grace and your goodness. For these things, we give you praise in this house tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, here's our protocol. People ask... Uh, I'm kind of bored with the protocol because I've had it for 25 years, but I realize that many of you don't think about church stuff every day because you have your own job, and this is kind of my job, 
But the protocol is not boring. It'll be interesting to many of you to hear it. How in the world do you know, pastor at our church, when it's time to get new elders? That's the right question. It's a good question. So the first answer uh, to that question is, in our elders' meetings, we go, hey, how's our church doing? It's growing. We got more, more disciples being made, more sheep adopted into the family. We got expanding ministries. Maybe we'll have a, an elder have a, a time in his life that's just so uh, pressing in on him that he'll, he'll take a break. We've written that into our bylaws, and, and so now we're down a man, and then the church grows at the same time. Now we're down two or three men if you're doing the math, and so we, we go, do we need new elders? And usually by the time we ask that question, we're, we're behind already. Yeah, we, need, we need more than we thought we needed. And so in that elders meeting, We'll just determine, okay, let's start the process. So that's step one. Step two, then, is the elders discuss names of visible men. Here's what it means to be a visible man. You need to be a man. By the way, at our church, we are absolutely clear on what a man and a woman is. It's really not all that difficult. And so a visible man is a man that's walking with God, and we see him because he's here all the time. Sunday morning, he's with the saints of God in the house of the Lord on the Lord's day. And if he's not here, that's the exception, not the rule. He's visible. You just see him. So we start talking about who do we see. And then, then we'll write some names down, who we've been seeing, who, who's just serving the Lord and, and jumping in there in small groups and helping out and stacking chairs and leading groups and clean, doing whatever. Who, who, it's, it's not hard to find the visible men. And then when we get a list of them, we start vetting their covenant faithfulness. That's really simple. We have a church covenant. There's four or five things in there that all of our church has agreed to. You signed your name. If, if, if there was a, 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 a vial of the blood of Jesus, we'd have made you sign it in that, right? Just, hey, we, we just agree to this. This is, this is holy unto the Lord. And we said, look, at our church, members are going to be here on Sundays, unless they're providentially hindered. And in our church, members are going to not just be here on Sundays because you need more of God than just one or two hours on the Lord's Day. You need the accountability and the recharge and the refilling of a, of a midweek small group in a house. And so our members have agreed we're going, we're going to be in small groups together. We're going, to get, we're going to know people and we're going to be known. We're not going to hide. And then we said, look, we're going to have a ministry in the church so that on Sundays we're going to do stuff. We're not just going to sit around. We're going to help out, and, if, and when we're not there, there's a hole to fill. That's how you know if you're in a ministry in the church. Like We've got to do something if you're on vacation or you're sick. We've got a hole to fill. And then we said, look, we're going to financially support the ministry. And can I tell you, if you're not bought in here, you're not a leader. And so if we're looking for leaders, we're looking for people that go, I'm not letting the church go broke or go under over my dead body. Every month, I'm financially supporting the ministry. And so we always look at that. And then we go, the last thing in our, in our covenant is I'll, I'll pray for and submit to and gladly be under the leadership of the elders of the church. We go, these men that are visible and, they, and they're doing all the things in our covenants and they're, and they're glad to be counseled by and, and seeking the wisdom of and being under the leadership of the elders. And so that list goes from there to there. And it's just real simple. All right? Well, that doesn't mean that next list of the, that, they, that the elders hand to me is the next group of our elders because then, then it's my turn. So the next step in the protocol is they recommend those names to the pastor, and then it's my job to approach the nominees. 
Here's how I approach them. I call or I see them in the hallway and I say, hey, look, we, we were talking about you the other day in our elders meeting. And it wasn't gossipy, it was glorious. And all of our elders unanimously asked me to come to you and say, look, we're, we need some more men. We need some more shepherds. And we, we looked into your track record here, and it's exactly what our church needs. Would you pray about, tell your wife, please tell your wife, don't just, don't just throw it on her and say, hey, I'm going to be an elder. Go ask her. Talk to her. Talk to God more than you talk to her, though. And see if this is a good season for you to, to take on the biggest step of leadership that any church has. Because you see, when you become an elder, you come under stricter judgment. You come under a different accountability than just any, any person that's in the church. And if you pray, and if your wife says, yeah, I think, I think I'm ready to be the kind of wife that supports an elder in the church, and, and if you feel like heaven gives you a thumbs up, the Bible says whoever desires the task. So you, gotta, you have to want to. And so we never twist any man's arm to be a leader in the church. We just ask and we trust whatever the Lord does. God's a great communicator. And so then, you know how we have practicing membership? Like if you go through our membership process, it'll be a few weeks and we, we ask you to do the things the members do. And at the end of that process, we go, well, that's what we do in our church. Did you like that? And if you go, not really, I go, well, then you're not going to like it here. You need to find a different church where you will like it. Because that's what we do. We weren't trying to make it sensational or awesome or we're not tricking you. Every, week in and week out, we gather and pray and give and serve and evangelize and hug necks and sing songs and help kids and, and you know, forgive one another, sin against each other. And if, if that's not what you're looking for, this, this is practicing membership. Well, we kind of have a practicing eldership then because we talk to the guys and they say, yeah, we think that the Lord wants us to do that. And then they just start coming to our elders meetings before we bring them here. And they just participate and talk and learn and share and go, hey, did you guys think about this? And they just kind of do the work of an elder. And then after a few months, we go, do you like that? Yeah, I like that. Well, we like you. So let's just kind of make this official. Well, tonight's the making an official stage. You guys following me? Pretty simple. It's not, it's not hard. And we didn't invent this. We perfected it though. Amen. All right. So, so then you bring them to the church for oh, these just beautiful words I wrote here. Then you bring them to the church for affirmation and acclamation. We're going to affirm these men, and we're going to acclaim tonight these men. And what you're, here's what you're doing. You're saying, because I'm submitted to the elders of our church, and because the elders of our church have done the work on this, and the elders of the church have said, we recommend to the body that these men take this office, this serious, heavy office. Uh, what we're looking for you is, in the name of Jesus, a thumbs up. That's the affirmation. And then the acclamation. We're going to acclaim. We're all going to say amen. Glad to be under the spiritual leadership of three more. So we're going to thumbs up and we're going to amen. We're going to affirm and acclaim. And then the elders that are already installed are going to come and pray over these men after they share their testimony with you tonight. They're going to take five minutes or less, these three men, and they're going to tell you their story of how God brought them out of darkness in the light. And you know, guess when I told them they were going to do that? About 20 minutes ago when they got here. I didn't want them to think about it today at work. I didn't want them to, to fret. Because the Bible says to the elders to be ready in season and out of season, right? And they, you know, they didn't have a problem with it. They know their story. 
And so then we're going to pray over them. And so there's going to be a line of elders praying. And when that's done, I'm going to dismiss the, the, the meeting. And then we're all going to, unless you have children, right? And you've got to go get your kids and hurry back. We're going to line up. And you guys are going to come and make a reception line here. And here's what you're going to do. You're going to come and in three seconds or less, you're going to encourage the socks off your new shepherds. And just say an encouraging word, welcome, glad to be, glad you're in the office helping us here because um, that's just the way we're going to show, hey, God, we're so glad to be under a plurality of elders and that you've raised up godly men who will do some really hard work. Does that make sense? So so your job tonight is to affirm, acclaim, and encourage. My job is to show you quickly from the scriptures what it means to have this office. So I read those qualifications to you, and I'm getting ready to hit my fast-forward, fast-talker button, okay? So this is not for note-takers. This is for listeners. If you need these notes later, I got them in a Word file. I I love 2024 and modern technology. I want you to hear what those qualifications mean. First of all, overseers desire a noble work. It's not a ranking. It's not leveling up. It's not becoming a better Christian than everybody so that we tell you, look at these super guys. It's not that. It's a work. It's not a rank. It's faithful labor. And in in verse 2, this man has to be blameless. The New King James says it's above reproach. That word translated blameless and above reproach means one who cannot be laid a hold of. There's no bars on him that somebody can reach up and pull him down with. There's nothing in his background. There's no, there's no sin he hasn't dealt with. There's no problems in his reputation that's unrepented of. He is above reproach. There are no grounds for accusation against this man. He is not marked by infamy that would lessen his authority. John Calvin said of above reproach, there will be no one found among men that is free from every vice. But it's one thing to be blemished with ordinary vices. Vices means sins and weaknesses. It's one thing to be blemished with ordinary vices which do not hurt the reputation because they're found in men of the highest excellence. It's another thing to have a disgraceful name or to be stained with any baseness. Here's the idea behind above reproach and blameless. Um, If you ask these three men, do you bat a thousand on all of those qualifications in 1 Timothy? They're immediately going to tell you, no way, I'm not worthy to be an elder. And that's exactly the attitude we're looking for. But it means in general, they've lived their life since they've met Jesus in a way that they have stellar testimonies. And they are very good examples. And purity matters to them. Holiness is a part of their life. Do they do it? Perfectly? No, but just like John Calvin said, uh, it's one thing to stumble in some weaknesses. It's another thing to just to be known as a heathen or a pagan. And so I think you get the idea. Okay, USA, we good? He's supposed to be the husband of one wife. That means one woman man. It means one wife at a time, yes? It at least means that. It also means one woman for life. And so marriage is preferred because of that. So husband of one wife. He is to be temperate. That means self-controlled. Temperate and self-controlled means he's ever on watch of his life and his family. He is to be sober-minded. That means sensible, discreet. Calvin says again of sensible, sober-minded, 
A mature knowledge of things makes a man modest. The, the more mature you are in understanding, the more modest and less prideful you become. The next one is of good behavior, or that means respectable. And this respectable means he, he, he is sensible toward, in his inward thoughts, and he's respectable with his outward actions. The next one is a qualification called hospitable. Hospitable means loving strangers. It's a, there's a steadiness. There's deep roots in his home life. It carries the notion of a, of a safe house during periods of persecution. If persecution came across the U.S. and got really hard to have church here, uh, if, you're, if you're hospitable, people know they can come take shelter at your house. You can eat their food and you can, you, you can be protected there. It's hospitable. There's a, there's a welcoming of the kingdom of God about these men. Aren't these qualifications beautiful, by the way? My goodness, I love it. Uh, the next one is uh, able to teach, apt to teach. It requires knowledge of doctrine. It requires skill in communicating instruction. It is wisdom in applying the word of God judiciously to the advantage of God's people. An able teacher. Then you get to verse 3. These next four qualifications describe someone, listen to me very carefully, whose judgment is not impaired. Let me just stop and say that when you become a Christian, when you're full of the Holy Spirit, you stop being high and drunk all the time. Does that make sense? If that's what you were, the Holy Spirit changes you. And your judgment becomes not impaired. It becomes clear and guided by the Spirit of God. So, here they are. Not given to wine. Not addicted to wine. Not next to wine is what that means. It means that alcohol is not his constant compassion, companion. And it, it means that he watches his indulgences. This is a man that, that can go meal after meal, week after week, and not have to throw back some beers or drink wine and whiskey all the time. It, it, I'm not saying that Christians never do that. I'm saying the elders don't. It's a difference. Because you're the example setter. You're not next to wine. You're next to the power of the Spirit of God. Amen. Yes, sir. All right. The next one is not violent. Not a bully, but gentle. And <laughs> the, the old words are not pugnacious. Amen. I don't want to be pugnacious. I want to get rid of the pugnaciousness. Not pugnacious, but sweetly reasonable. Not ready to draw swords is what the word means. It means that you can be pushed and pushed by the, by the jerks out there, by the folks that can't control their emotions, by the, by the person in front of you at McDonald's that's just berating the, the cashier. You've seen the videos? I watch those from my house, and I'm throwing things. I mean, i just like, what in the world? And then the Holy Spirit says, you know, you can only do that when you're by, by yourself. Because if you were there, you got the not violent qualification as an elder. Like, like you can't have your fuse lit by little people. That makes sense? You can't get in fights. You can't be the tough guy. You got to be the sweetly reasonable guy. Non-threatening, forbearing. The next one is not quarrelsome. An elder avoids disputes and resolves conflict. 
The next one is not greedy. It doesn't matter whether he has much or little. <laughs> Somebody said, the one who, who wishes to be rich wishes also to become rich soon. <laughs> not greedy means satisfied with less than his due. Mercy. Uh, verse 4, one who manages his own household competently, one who rules his own house well. Um, look, elders can't have a matriarchal household. Like, you just can't let your wife tell everybody what to do. You can't be lazy at home and go, just handle everything. I go to work, you do it here, right? Can't do that. If you're an elder, you lead at home, and that's where you practice. Because, because he's getting ready to reason. If you, can't handle, if you can't manage your home, God's church is more important than your home. It's not, it's not that your home's unimportant. It's just that the bride of Christ is more important. Yes? And so it's the training ground. How do you govern your house? And then Homer Kent said, the way in which a man controls his home reveals his capacity for leadership and government. I think he's right. Then it says in verse 6, not a, not a novice, like not a new convert. You don't, you, you don't baptize a guy and three months later go, hey, you, you want to be an elder? We need some help. But not a neophyte, not a new believer. Not, it, the word for novice means literally a young plant that's in the ground. It hadn't been up in the sunlight very long. Inexperienced. The young convert has not yet been matured by afflictions and temptations. He hasn't proven himself. And if you put a young convert in a big role, he becomes conceited, literally wrapped up in smoke and inflated with pride. And then finally, the final qualification is having a good testimony among those who are outside. It's, there's good reports about you from the non-Christians. All right, so before I go any further, I want to, I heard this yesterday and I hadn't been able to stop thinking about it. In just a resource where I'm trying to train and be a better pastor, the guy said, hey, pastors, when's the last time you asked your elders that have been serving a long time, when's the last time you read 1 Timothy 3 to them and said, are you still qualified? And what do you do with a question like that? What, what a question like that does is it doesn't say, if you're not, you need to quit. It says, if you're not, you need to do business with God because our church needs you to be qualified. Does that make sense? And so, so all the elders that are already here, you know what we're saying? It's, my goodness, I, I got some work to do. I got some commitments to renew. I, I've got some spiritual disciplines to, to go get again because none of us believe we've arrived. None of us believe that we got where we got years ago and we've just been sailing on at that level. And so I want you to know what a godly man, how a godly man thinks about himself in the church. All right, now you can look at the sheet in front of you. And I'm going to pick and choose some stuff and I'll be done real soon. There are three ways you can apply this to your life as a member of our church. Number one, would you pray for your elders' spiritual welfare? Hey, look, we pray for you, but we need you to pray for us. We need you to pray for us and we'll be godly husbands. 
We need you to pray for us that our quiet times will be rich and regular and every day. We need you to pray for us that we'll be better at praying for you. And I'm not going to read all the verses. It's just Ephesians 6, 18, 19, and 20. At the end of verse 18, always keep on praying for all the saints. And all the saints includes us. Number two, esteem your elders' biblical authority. I realize and this is so politically incorrect in the world we live in today, but did you know that your Bible says you're supposed to obey your elders? Now, before you panic, the Bible doesn't say that the elders are supposed to boss you around and live your life for you. Can I tell you? I don't want another life to live. I don't want another household to oversee. I've got mine. Have you seen my family? Amen. I love my family. I've got a great family. But I want to tell you, um, I don't know what you see when you look at me and Angie, but I know what I see. I see two believers who desperately and drastically need the grace of God every day. And we struggle. Sometimes we win. Sometimes we take two steps forward and then four or five steps back. We are not different from you. We just have a different accountability at the end. Does that make sense? So no, we don't want to live your life for you. We don't want to boss you around. But we do want to counsel you and be there for you. Have you bounced big, life-changing ideas off us? And we go, look, we've seen people go down this road. We've seen them take that, make that decision, take that job. And you just need to, you need to go into your next big life decision with your eyes open. And if you don't talk to the leading men in the church that God has set aside with special grace and favor for this, you are shorting yourself. So, esteem the biblical authority of the shepherds. Because the Holy Spirit's the one who's made these men overseers, Acts 20, 28. Hebrews 13, 17, obey those who rule over you and be submissive. They watch over your souls as those who must give an account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief because that'd be unprofitable for you. I'll never forget the day I was in a Southern Baptist meeting when our church was just getting started and we, they said, what kind of church government are you going to have? Well, I said, we've been reading the New Testament. We were thinking about elders and deacons. And that's a, it, it was a faith tradition that only has deacons. And he said, well, elders, what do you mean elders? It's like it was a bad word. And this old man, and I'm 25 at the time, 24 years ago, and this old man said, well, brother, and that's, everybody called everybody brother. I'm like, I have two brothers, and you are not either one of them. Um, he, said, he said, brother, do you believe in elder rule? Like, he just made a phrase sound like, diabolical and from hell and the devil. You believe in elder rule? And the first thing I thought of was, I've been to Bible college and seminary, and I can quote Hebrews 13, 17 that says, obey those who rule over you. And I said, sir, I don't know what you, believe, what you mean by that phrase. I just believe my New Testament. Yes? Let me tell you something. We should call church leaders, church members, Everybody in the body of Christ, what the Bible calls us. We can't improve on the language of heaven, yes? So let's keep it real simple. Overseers, bishops, presbyters, all, uh, pastors. The, I know exactly what those words mean. And so there's a certain rule. It just means govern. It doesn't mean be a slave driver. 
It just says, hey, look, if we've been down this road before. We see some pitfalls you don't see. You need to consider them. And then you get to go make your own decisions. And if you don't listen to us and drive your life into the ditch, you know what we're not going to do? We're not going to come say, I told you so. We're going to come help you out of the ditch and go, let's try this again. Here's some biblical wisdom. Hope you take it this time. If you don't, we'll be back in the ditch with you. I guess until Jesus comes. But eventually, people are going to know that it's your fault. Does that make sense? It's like, my goodness. Let the, 1 Timothy 5, 17. Brother, do you believe in elder rule? Let the elders who rule well. No, I just don't believe my Bible, I guess. That guy was special. All right. Number three, employ your elder shepherding ministry. You know, I got a phone call yesterday. It's from a lady in our church. She sits on the second row every week because she's here. And she loves her some me. She loves her pastor. She's, lo- she's loved me and, and just been an encouragement to me every year she's been here. She's got cancer. She was in the hospital 30-something days in, near in December. And she's been taking care of her ailing parents and just can't catch a break. Here, I promise you, here's what she said. She called me. I was on a Zoom call with Norm Wakefield, and I'm like, oh, my goodness. I know she's been sick, and well, this has got to be terrible. I got off the call, and I called her, and she, she's short of breath. She said, Pastor, the doctor said the cancer has gotten worse. And here's the next thing she said. She said, would you have some of the elders come to my house and and lay their hands on me and anoint me with oil and pray that God would heal me like James 5 says to do? Well, what do you think the answer to that question is? You know what's sad? Because that's the only story like that I have to tell you in the last year or so. I should have four of those a month. That, that exact same request. Would you have the elders come pray for me? I need healing. Where'd that come from? James 4, 5, 14, and 15. Is any among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. It doesn't even say let, let him call the elders that have gifts of healings. It's like your spiritual gifting doesn't even matter here. Your office does. Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise him up, and if he's committed sins, he'll be forgiven. That is a blank check from heaven to you. And hardly anybody ever cashes it. It doesn't even say it has to be a big illness. It just says, do you want God in your life? you want the supernatural to come in? You want, you want a clear conscience and have your sins forgiven? Why don't you call those men that watch over your soul? Why don't you just, God says, go through my chain of command and watch me work through it. So look, employ your elder shepherding ministry. Not enough of us do this. I'm going to read two more verses and I'm done. I mean, two more texts, First Peter and then Ezekiel. 1 Peter 5, 2, 3, and 4, Shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers or bishops, not by compulsion but willingly, not for dishonest gain but eagerly, not as being lords over those entrusted to you but being examples to the flock. 
and when the chief shepherd appears. You'll receive the crown of glory doesn't fade away. The opposite of that is Ezekiel 34.4. Randy shared this with me yesterday. Ezekiel 34.4, the weak. This is what God says to the false shepherds of Israel. The weak you have not strengthened, nor have you healed those who were sick, nor bound up the broken, nor brought back what was driven away, nor sought what was lost, but with force and cruelty you ruled them. I want you to know that your church is governed by faithful shepherding men. And tonight, we add three more. And next time, I'm going to add five more. This is a blessing tonight. Now, here's what we're going to do. Those guys are going to come and take five minutes apiece, share their testimony. We're going to pray for them. And then we're going to encourage them and we'll be done. First, it's going to be Jacob Schwagel, who's our senior associate pastor, and we are affirming him in the teaching elder office tonight. Then it's going to be Michael Caffey, who's going to be our church planter and the new pastor of Refuge Church by Helia. And then it's going to be Alan Dupree. We are affirming Alan into the ruling elder, uh, uh, the ruling elder category tonight. And I want you to know, we're installing these men as elders in our church. Two of them will leave our church later as we have a baby. All right, does that make sense? But these, they're being installed in leadership here. And Jacob, and then Michael, and then Alan. I wasn't going to get up until uh, you guys started cheering, so appreciate it. It had me nervous for a second, Randy. I was like, they know more about me than I know, apparently. Uh, Trevor, we're just sharing our testimony. Was that? Okay. Uh, so uh, I got five minutes. Usually I do this in 10, so let's start from the beginning. 1982, March 15th, a baby boy was brought into this world. It was me. I actually wanted to start there because, uh, you know, a couple months later, I was baptized as a, as a baby. Best decision of my life. Uh, <clears throat> now, I was, I was uh, uh, born and raised in Catholicism, um, in and out. You know, my parents tried to get me in church as much as possible. Um, and so going through that whole experience, uh, I don't have a lot of memories from it. Um, I do remember um, I, I got up through um, the first communion, so I could actually take communion with the adults and all of that. So, uh, so that's my religious background. Uh, we'll fast forward to probably high school, you know, the rebellion days, um, deep diving into if it, if, if it made you feel good, I assumed it was good. That was my worldview. So this is, um, you know, alcohol, pot, pornography, all of, all of those things, no conscious about it. Uh, just thinking this was just normal. These are the things that you should get into and do because it was fun. Um, you know, surrounding myself with friends with those same types of uh, things that they, they thought were fun. Getting to college, toned down a little bit, but still just living how I wanted to live. Um, almost failed out of college um, at one point. Um, just not, not really caring, no real ambitions. Um, and then I met a girl, 
and, and things started changing pretty rapidly. Um, started pursuing this girl. Spoiler alert, I married her. It's Jessica. <laughs> That's how the story ends. Um, so, you know, just, just kind of pursuing her at Cracker Barrel, fell in love over the grits and gravy. Um, and so we, you know, just, just really friends, uh, close friends, and enjoying that. Uh, she took me over to her house at one point, and I met the lovely Rucker family. Uh, and the word gets back to me that Theresa didn't like me. She said, I don't like that boy. Uh, he doesn't go to church. And so I thought, well, what time's church? I'll go to church. And Jessica said, well, 10 a.m. I was like, really? Okay, that's easy. That's late. I think it was 10 a.m. back at the White Chapel. So I roll into church, smoking a cigarette, walk up to the doors. Didn't No, no thought of disrespect or anything. Well, Steve Woods, you know Steve, he busts open the door, hey, how's it going, who are you, uh, welcome, you know, he's like, just put that out there, it's fine, I was like, okay, and, you know, walk in, and, you know, probably wearing a hat, just, you know, I, you know everything was, this is just, I didn't know uh, what I didn't know, I didn't know I could offend Christian folks so easily, um, go in, the, the first person I see as I'm looking, because I'm beeline, okay, where's the person I know, where's Jessica, uh, a guy named Bill Abresh, came up to me, said, hey, how's it going? I'm Bill. What's your name? Well, Jacob. Okay, great. I'm looking for Jessica. Oh, yeah, let me, points me to Jessica. Go through, highly offended by the music. Live band in a church. I don't know why that was so offensive to me, but rock and roll in a church, this is ridiculous. Says the guy who put a cigarette out on the front door, (laughs) rock and roll, this is, this is silly. Um, Probably didn't like Trevor's sermons from the get-go either, um, I would imagine. But um, didn't like the music. Um, come back the next week, for whatever reason. I wasn't, you know, it was fine. Come back the next week, and, and Bill Abresh walks up to me and says, Jacob, welcome back. I was absolutely blown away by that. No idea that this man would, would care enough about some scrubby little old a guy to remember my name and just befriend me like that. Meant the world, still remember it 20 years later. Um, real thankful for that. So anyways, I go, start attending, I don't know for how long, uh, the dates and all that, um, and I get wrapped up in the worship music, and we're singing about the gospel, and, I'm, and I think at that moment, it, it became so real. I wish I could remember the song, oh, I do, I do, I think uh, Jesus is going to remind me when I get to heaven, um, about what was so lovely. At that moment, I just fell absolutely head over heels with Jesus, understanding that not only uh, is there no judgment from him, but it's absolute love, uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ, him, him coming and rescuing me, not caring about who I was, who my past is, but wanting to know me right then and there. Um, you know, it's Hillsong, Jesus is a friend of mine, whatever it was, talking about just friendship with Jesus was just, blew my mind. I was like, are you kidding me? This creator of everything cared enough about me. So anyways, I'll fast forward because I'm running out of time. Um, God saved me, ended up getting baptized. You could not keep me away from the church. I was not interested in anything else. And I was, what do I do now? I don't know, what have you done? Well, I, I read this book of the Bible. Okay, we'll read this book of the Bible. Okay, come back. What do I do now? Well, we got a summer camp coming up. You want to chaperone? Absolutely. Go chaperone with some teenagers. Um, got it. I got called to ministry uh, at a beach and with a bunch of teenagers and decided that's what I want to do for the rest of my life, baptizing the Holy Spirit at that time. Um, I, that's what I want to do. So I come back, tell Trevor, it's like, hey, if you need anything, I got you. Uh, he's like, okay, we actually would love to have a youth pastor. 
Uh, and then uh, the funny story, and I'm done with that, he said, uh, we want to pay you. I said, I don't want to get paid. I'm just, I'm all in. I got to find a job. He's like, no, I want to pay you because I want to tell you what to do. There's going to be some, this is, there's going to be some stuff that you're not going to want, and I want to get it done. So, which made complete sense. Fast forward, and, and here I am. So, uh, I'm, I'm honored to be here telling my story, and that's my five minutes. So, if you don't want any blanks that I left out, let me know. I'd love to share them with you. So. start by saying it is weird to be in Olive Branch on a Wednesday evening, um, but it's good to be here and be with GCC. Um, my story is a little different than Jacob's, but, uh, but you'll find some similar amazing salvation in it by the grace of God. I grew up in a, a Christian home um, and an Air Force home, which means I moved around a lot, but my parents uh, made a strong emphasis to quickly, wherever we moved, find a church. Um, and that was our story. That's how it was throughout my early years. Um, and that always struck me. I never had an issue with it or anything, but that was, that was our routine. Uh, well, when I was eight years old, we moved to the States after many years in Germany. And we found a church, and my parents got me this CD uh, by a guy named Carmen, um, which... Yeah, it's great. Um, and uh, look it up later. Actually, specifically the courtroom song. Find the YouTube video because there's a dramatic portrayal of it. And I would listen to this CD almost on repeat. And in the courtroom song, again, this is a Christian CD, um, the, the music and the drama portrays a sinner standing before God the Father giving account for their life and for their sin. And I began losing sleep over this. And, and being worried and concerned. But at the end of the song, eventually Jesus shows up, and that binder full of sin becomes an empty binder saying, all his sins were washed away. And I wrestled with this for months, if not a year or so. And then, you know how when we do communion here, um, we say, hey, if you have unbaptized children, don't let them partake. And I'm here to tell you, please don't let them partake. Because there was one Sunday morning where my parents made it very clear, you are not a Christian. You do not get this cracker. You do not get this juice. And in that moment, the Holy Spirit whispered to me, this table is for you, Michael. Jesus died for you. And that's when God graciously opened my eyes to the truths of the gospel. Now, being a nine-year-old, you know, you're not exposed to much and whatever. Years would go by, and we moved again, and we found a church again. We were plugged in. But I, I was falling more in love with Jesus. I remember distinctly having a newer Bible and sitting there and listening to the sermons. And all of a sudden, I was actually paying attention to the sermons. And I was circling things. And I was underlining things. And, and, and God was just saying, all right, Michael, I, I'm here for you. Fall more in love with me. See what I have for you and what I have for your life. What it means to be the creator and sustainer of the whole world and the universe and the author and perfecter of your salvation. God is faithful and was working hard in me. I'm really reminded of two verses, and these are the Michael Standard version that, look, look, he who began a good work in me was going to carry it on to completion. And also Jesus said, look, all that the Father give me, they're not going to get out of my hand, and I'm never going to let them go. So I had a big God 
who is sovereign in my salvation and my sanctification. And I grew up some, and, and I saw the stupid pool that my friends were going after, and, and I looked at it, and I'd reach for it sometimes. Sometimes I'd dip a toe in it. Sometimes I'd dip my arm in it. Sometimes I'd try to do a cannonball in it. But the beautiful, sovereign God of the universe who was holding me in his hand, time after time, even though I stumbled, fell on my face, willingly stubbed my toe, he'd reach in, grab me out of that stupid pool and say, you're mine. And that is my testimony that he has been doing that for years now. Fast forward some. In 2008, I go to the University of Memphis. I know not a single soul in the entire greater Memphis area. And I, I don't know what to think or whatever, but God, again, was sovereignly holding me fast to his hand and holding me close to him. And I began mulling over doctrine and theology and really wrestling with the, what the word of God said and what the churches I grew up said. I found myself kind of on an island. I wasn't a Christian church, Church of Christ guy like my parents were, but I didn't really line up with the tie-wearing Southern Baptists, couldn't figure it out. I wasn't like my friends who went to Gracie Van up in Germantown. Um, I wasn't baptizing babies or nothing, and I didn't know what to do there. Um, and then in uh, August of 2009, my sophomore year, I'm sitting in the uh, Communication and Fine Arts building, and God spoke to me again. And this little girl from all of Branch, Mississippi walks in and he says, get to know her. She's special. And that girl's Melanie Caffey. She was Melanie Rucker. Um, and quickly after my pursuit, or I don't know what I was doing, she invited me here to GCC. And my first Sunday was the 10th anniversary in October of 2009. Um, and I found home. That floundering feeling, that not sure where I needed to be, it's here. Um, and, and I joined the church in uh, January or March of 2010, um, and it has been the sweetest season, the best season of growth. The just God is so good and has been so good to me as I've stumbled, as I've cried, as things in my life have, have been painful and hard. This church right here, the elders here, the leaders here have stood by my side and cared for me and cared for my soul. And like I said, God is sovereign in salvation. He's holding us close. He's holding us fast. And he's also carrying on that work he began to completion. And he's been growing me and, and giving me opportunities to serve here at GCC. And, uh, and, and it's just been a joy. There, there's nothing like being a part of a healthy local church. And I know that GCC is one of those. Now, as Trevor mentioned, you know, we're kind of getting kicked out, me and Alan, eventually. Um, but it's a beautiful thing, and maybe God prepared that for me because I moved around as a kid so much. Moving isn't, isn't a big deal to me, but it's only about 20 minutes down the road, so it's not too far. Um, but here's what I'll, I'll say. When we chose or when we, when we realized that God wanted to do something in Bahalia, it was the third time that God, I feel like, audibly spoke to me. Because Trevor was preaching from the Word, and, and he was preaching about uh, the great banquet down the highway and uh, the hedges and how there are people on those highways and on those hedges and in the street, the lame, the crippled, the blind, the outcasts of society. But the Master said, go and get them because my banquet is ready and the feast is for them. And so that's why we're going to Bahalia. And so however, God, however long God has us still really connected at the hip with GCC, God is good and will enjoy it. And when he does send us off, here's what I'm sure of. Whether you're here at GCC or down there at Refuge, for those of you in the room that are a part of that right now, 
Jesus is going to fulfill his promise to build his church, his way, his time, and for his glory. And I'm sure of that, and this is a great place to be. In Jesus' name, that's all I got. Good evening, everyone. Uh, my name is Alan Dupree. I have been coming to Great Commission Church for about 20 years. Uh, and it's so cool hearing Jacob's story because my story is so tied to his. Uh, see, Jacob was my youth pastor uh, back in 2005 and 2006. Uh, I, I'll tell you, uh, the Lord has radically transformed me for the better because of him, because of Trevor, Don, Randy, uh, Mark, Zach, uh, countless others uh, just had a profound impact in my life. Uh, I didn't really care about the things of God. I grew up kind of a nominal Christian household. We attended church. Uh, I was not opposed to God. Uh, I just really didn't care about the whole repentance factor. Um, that wasn't of interest to me. God was cool. Repentance was not. So I came to church. I was invited by somebody who is not a Christian. Uh, and from people who are not Christians, which is weird to me, but it's just the sovereignty of God. Uh, I came to uh, Great Commission Church about 2006, and I was sitting in the front row, not really caring a thing in the world about what Jacob was saying. Sorry, Jacob. Uh, but over time, God began working in my heart and drawing me to himself. I started hanging out after youth group with Jacob, and I'm sure he kind of freaked out a little bit. I started putting chairs up, and uh, God began to transform me. And it was March of 2006. I was on a beach in uh, Gulf Shores, Alabama, just... Uh, the still, quiet waters, I can still vividly remember it. And just the peace of God that Scripture says transcends all understanding came over me uh, in such a unique way. And uh, at that point, I can probably say God began to save me on that beach right there. And it was because of the ministry of Great Commission Church, and it was because uh, of the impact of the leaders here. Uh, fast forward, uh, I started uh, helping out with the youth ministry um, and the children's ministry here for some years uh, through high school and through college and then after college. And uh, God just began blessing me immensely through it. Um, and then after that, I, I met a girl again at Lake Forest Ranch. I was there to work, and she was a nurse there, and her name's Jessica. She's back there in the back. She doesn't like talking. Um, but, uh, and God just began drawing me to himself again, like closer and deeper in himself and... Um, you know, I'm, I'm so blessed by this church, and uh, I could go on and on, uh, but time is short, and I just want to say thank you all. I know uh, I don't talk a whole lot, but I, I love this church dearly. I've loved it, uh, and uh, thank you. If you guys will come and take one of these seats, and if your wives will come sit on the stage to your left, if we can. If there's babies, we'll help you with them if you need it. Do it now. Okay. I've got a couple of procedural things here just for the sensitivity of time. Um, the next thing we're going to do is our elders are going to come one by one and, 
and breathe a quick prayer for a blessing over all of our new elders and their wives. That's a holy moment. It's a ceremony that needs to be done in reverence, and the church needs to watch that. We also have some time constraints, so here's what I'm going to do. If you have children in the back, I'm getting ready to dismiss you to go get them, and as y'all are going to get your children, the elders are going to be praying over them. When the elders finish, we're going to open those doors, and then everybody can come in and go out, and we're going to form that reception line, and it'll be loud and jovial in here then, so it won't, it'll be fine if kids are in here. So that's how we're going to do that. And so if you have children in the, in, the, in the nursery area, you're dismissed to go get them now. Go get them and wait in the lobby so you can come and encourage the, the candidates. And then we'll open the doors when the ceremony ends there and it, everybody will be a free-for-all. As they're going, elders, if you'll line up over here, we're going we're gonna to have this time of prayer. And This isn't flippant. It's not shoot from the hip. And that's why we're going to make this just time of of um, reverence. Guys, don't have your quiet time when you pray. Randy, Randy go last. <laughs> and, and, uh, but, but pray down here loud enough so the husband and the wife can hear. And we're going to get started right now.
All right, we got one more thing to do. I'm going to ask our church, if you would, to affirm uh, the recommendation of the Board of Elders that we install these three men into the office of elder. And by affirming, I also want you to acclaim it. And here's how we're going to do